Now, as we get into our study in Acts, I want you to think in terms of, this is a historical book, so it's not necessarily a book that is a doctrinal book, but it's telling you how God worked in the early church. And so what I want you to think about is how, what, what is it that needs to change in our lives so that we can see God work again this way? Because we're going to spend several months in this book looking at a church that was really on fire for the Lord. They were empowered for the Lord and they spread the gospel from a group of several hundred people in Jerusalem all the way to the Roman capital. And of course today there are three billion of them. Do you understand? So uh, I just want you to think about that. So let's look today. We're in lesson three. We're going to talk about the preparation of the promise. Okay? We, we remember before that Jesus said that, uh, that the Spirit would come and empower them to be witnesses. They're to wait in Jerusalem and the Spirit would come and empower them to be witnesses. So what we're going to see today is we're going to see that they're in the upper room and this is part of the preparation before before Acts chapter 2 where we see the Spirit comes. So let's look today. Let's look first of all at verses 12 to 14 and we'll look at the issue of the upper room. Notice with me. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her brothers. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, we're going to see that the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So remember, they watched Jesus ascend. The angel says, why are you looking? You know, he'd come back in the same manner. So, okay, they go back to, from the Mount of Olives, they go back to Jerusalem. Now, just for your information, a Sabbath day journey is about 3,000 feet or a bit more than a half a mile. On the Sabbath, you were not allowed to labor. So going beyond this, a Sabbath day's journey, it was considered by the rabbis and those who held authority in the religious circles there at that time, that if you went beyond a Sabbath day's journey as far as walking, you were working, you were laboring, and so therefore you were breaking the Sabbath. So on a Sabbath day, they were only allowed to go a little bit more than a half a mile. That's how far that they could journey. That was it. So basically, you're talking about life shutting down on the Sabbath, okay? Life shutting down. So there were no marathons on the Sabbath, okay? No 5Ks, you know, not even a, you know, whatever, not even a 1K probably, okay? So the reality is, 
So a Sabbath day's journey. So they went from, so you're thinking it's probably only about from the Mount of Olives to where they went. It's only about a half a mile. Isn't that amazing? From the upper room to where they were, to where they were on the Mount of Olives, only a half a mile. Okay. Now, verse 13 tells us the apostles that were present. The disciples entered the room with the 11 remaining apostles. So there's probably about, this must have been some kind of huge room. Must have been a room about the size of this. Upper room of a big building probably, a big house. So there's probably about a hundred of them, okay? A hundred of these disciples, they believe. And they have the remaining 11. Now I want you to recognize when you look at your list there, in verse 13, it says, and Judas the son of James. Uh, that's not Judas Iscariot. Other, other, uh, Gospels will list him as Thaddeus instead of Judas. Okay, probably as time went on, he probably went by Thaddeus rather than Judas because how would you like to be having the same name as the guy who betrayed Jesus? Do you, do you understand? So they're up in the upper room with the remaining apostles. Now here's what they did. Look at verse 14. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. They collectively prayed for the fulfillment of the promise. Now, I want you to hear me for a second, because we, we Christianity is interesting, especially North American Christianity. When we look at something, we sometimes we'll look at something based on our reaction to something else. So when we talk about the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit, there tends to be in our circle the thought of it's just the Holy Spirit coming, sealing you for redemption, and that's it. And the reason why we don't go any further is because we look at what happens in charismatic circles, and we don't understand it, we don't agree with it, so therefore that can't be what it's talking about, okay? Well, I'm just going to flat out tell you, no, that's not what it's talking about, but you're not going, you're missing out on something else there that the promise was telling you, okay? Remember the promise. Let's go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. So what they're praying for is this promise that's given in verse 8 to be fulfilled. They're praying not just for the Spirit to come into their lives, but they're praying for the empowerment and that they're witnesses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because of the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, you think about it today, when we talk about it, because we're going to get into Acts chapter 2 next week, we tend to focus on the Spirit coming and living within us, and that's it. We forget the other two aspects of the promise. Do you understand? Because we, we, we don't want to, we, we're, we're afraid because we don't want to be like a charismatic or something, because we're afraid of what that means, because we've seen some things on TV or whatever. But we're, but our reaction is causing us to forget the other two important parts of the Spirit's coming into our life. And that is, number one, he empowers you. 
Okay? He empowers you for your Christian life. Do you understand? You weren't meant to live your Christian life by yourself. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live your Christian life. But he empowers you to be, bottom line, listen to me, the promise is, is the empowerment comes so that you will be a what? Witness. See, it's not just the Holy Spirit comes to make sure I go to heaven. He's my guarantee, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. But that the Spirit comes to empower me so that I will be his witness in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? In life. And, and, and what needs to happen is, so if you need to reflect on your life for a moment, is the Spirit empowering you? Are you allowing him to empower you? Is the Spirit aiding you in being a witness? Those are some good questions, aren't they? Is the Spirit empowering me? Am I, or am I grieving the Spirit? You know, it talks about grieving. How do I grieve the Spirit? By my sin. Okay? Is the Spirit empowering me? So, in, in many senses, we don't have to pray for the first part, because we know that's already taking place when we got saved. But there's a sense in which we do need to pray for his fullness in our life, his empowerment. Do you understand? That's why Paul would say in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Do, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled. You want to pray for that empowerment so that you can be his what? Witness. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? There needs to be that emphasis. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I don't care what denomination it is. But they've all, they've all taught it in their own way. What do you mean? Some denominations talk about it being a second, a second event or a second blessing. How many of you have heard that term before? A second blessing. Okay. Baptists teach it as coming under the lordship of Christ. Others talk about it being baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's a misunderstanding because you're baptized by the Holy Spirit the moment you get saved. Do you understand? But they're all talking about coming to a place where these last two parts of the promise are fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some call it total surrender, about being totally surrendered to Christ. If you think about what your background is, every, everywhere you, if you think about any of the denominations, they all have this teaching of people, and it seems to be for some reason just a few, who pursue the fullness of the Spirit in their life in some way so that they could be who God wants them to be. So this is what I want you to see. These guys are wanting that promise to be fulfilled. What can we learn from this? We need to have that promise fulfilled in our lives. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit because we already have the Holy Spirit if you're saved, right? But you need the empowerment so that you can be his witness. Let's go on. Here's what they did. They joined, they were joined in prayer by Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were joined in prayer by Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, it's interesting. When you look at it, the, you could just gloss over that real quick when you read that passage. But 
if you remember the Gospels, that's a pretty significant thing here that his brothers were there. Why? Because in the Gospel of John, there's an instance where his brothers are very antagonistic towards Jesus. But you also know, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to the eleven, but he also appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, who would end up being the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So something significant happened to these guys because of Jesus. So that when Jesus is resurrected and ascended, they're now in the upper room with the disciples praying for the fulfillment of the coming. Okay? So we see the upper room. Now let's look at the completion of the 12, verses 15 through 26. And in those days, so let me just stop for a moment. In those days, so there, there is from the time of the ascension to Pentecost was a number of days there, all right? So this wasn't just, so let me just stop for a moment. This is a good point to make. You're looking at your life and you're saying, I want that fullness in my life. I want that I want the Spirit to have control. I want to be empowered. I want to be His witness. I'm going to pray like they did. Folks, it's not a one-day prayer. Just so I want you to understand. It's not a one-day prayer. It's something you pursue. So it might be several days. Okay? Now, George, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, listen, I'm explaining something to you. Let me let me give you some names of some individuals. You tell me, would you say that they had a significant ministry? D.L. Moody. Remember, know who D.L. Moody is? Okay. Great evangelist in the 1800s. Billy Graham. Okay. Oswald Chambers. Do you use Oswald Chambers uh, by utmost for his eyes? He had a ministry at the turn of the century, of the ninth, into the 20th century. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. Those are just naming some of them. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Would you say that all those men had good ministries, great ministries? I'm going to explain something to you. Every one of them had a moment in their life where they had the fulfillment of this promise in their life. And it wasn't at the moment that they got saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? They came to a place where they sought God's fulfillment of that promise in their life. Now, they called it different things. But that promise was fulfilled in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody was, you know, when he was preaching, he, here's his story. He, uh, he ran, he was involved, if you think this is crazy, he was involved with the YMCA. Now, we only think of the YMCA as health. Go and sweat and, you know, do what you gotta do. In Moody's day, it was a, it was really young men's, Christ, young Christian men's association. So they were Bible studies and everything. So he was, he was with YMCA and they were having a prayer meeting. Think about having a prayer meeting at the Y, okay? They were having a prayer meeting and these two Methodist women came in and said, Mr. Moody, you're a great teacher, a great speaker, but you're lacking something. And he kind of had, to be very honest with you, this is what sometimes preachers have this problem, he kind of had a dismissive attitude. Look, really? What am I missing? You're missing the fullness of the Spirit in your life, in your ministry. And we will pray for you. 
And his response was, okay, go ahead and pray for me. That went on for several months. These women would come to the prayer meeting and pray for him to have, have a, to have the fullness of his life. The story is, is that several months later, he was in New York walking down Wall Street. And while he was walking down Wall Street, Moody only talked about this. The interesting thing about the, this event in people's lives, they don't talk about it immediately. They talk about it years later. Moody only talked about it twice. He said he was walking down Wall Street, and he was overwhelmed with a, a vision of God's glory. So much so, he had to ask God to stop. And then he immediately went to the house of a friend and asked if he could have a room. And he locked himself in the room. And then God overwhelmed him so much with his presence and his power that he had to ask God to stop again, that he couldn't handle it. Now, this is Moody's words. Do you understand? Here's what Moody said. After that moment, His preaching was the same, but the impact was completely different. His understanding of the Bible was the same, but the impact was different. His ministry went skyrocketed beyond that point because he was empowered by the Spirit of God. Before, he would say, he was doing it in his own power. But after that moment, he became a witness for God. Do you understand? And the rest is history. Moody goes down as one of the greatest figures in North American history. James Hudson Taylor, same thing. Different type of experience. He didn't have the same experience as uh, as Moody. His experience was God removed the scales from his eyes. He was so frustrated with ministry and so upset and angry and there was a moment where he came to a place of surrender. And he said, it was like the scales fell off of my eyes. And I understood. And again, he he didn't talk about that experience for 30 years. But from that moment on, his ministry greatly increased. In fact, we saw what his ministry was. We see the impact of that when we watched the Chinese thing, right? So it's not something you spend one day praying for it's something you've got to want and you seek after it remember the parable of jesus the kingdom of heaven is like what a treasure you find in the field so you go and sell everything you have so that you can what buy the treasure or like the woman who loses a coin and she tears up her entire house until she finds the coin or the guy who finds a pearl and he sells everything he has so he can buy the pearl. See, it's got to be something you want that much. So that's, I think that's what's missing in our churches is the empowerment of God, the fullness of the Spirit, to be his witnesses. Did you understand what I'm saying? To be his witnesses. So, so let's look here again. Let's read the scripture. So when they entered, they went into the upper room. Excuse me. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture was fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before them by the mouth of David concerning Jesus, who became a guide to those 
who arrested Jesus. And for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So the field is called, in their own language, a kel dama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day in which he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabas, who is surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, so during this time of preparation, they're preparing themselves and they, they, get, they feel directed by the Scripture to complete the number of apostles. So let's talk about that. So during their, upper, during their time in the upper room, Peter stood up to speak with the disciples, which numbered about 120. So, so think about this. This has got to be a big room, okay? It's got to be a big room. There's 120 of them. Peter points out that Judas fulfilled the Scripture as the betrayer of Jesus. So just so you understand... It was not a surprise to God that Judas would betray Jesus. It was foretold. Jesus knew when he picked Judas that this is the guy that's going to betray me. Okay? So Judas, Peter points out that Judas fulfilled the scripture as the betrayer of Jesus. Peter also points out that Judas was numbered among the 12 apostles. So he was one of the 12. He had a part in the ministry. So think about that. When you read through the Gospels, when Jesus sends out the 70, Judas is part of that. They're going and casting out demons. They're seeing healing. So he's, he's witness to all of these things. He's a part of it. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Okay? Pretty amazing. He was among them. So Peter reports that Judas purchased the field with the money given for the betrayal. So we know that there was the money that he took, the, the silver that he took, that he cast back, that money was then used by the priest to purchase this field in Judas's name. And it became called the field of blood. It, actually, I think you can go to it today in Jerusalem, and it actually ended up being pretty much a cemetery for the poor. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? It became a cemetery for the poor. So, Peter also states that Judas fell headlong and burst open, exposing his internal organs. Now, wait a minute, George, there's a contradiction here. One of the Gospels tells us that he hung himself. Now, how many of you know that Peter, that Judas hung himself? Okay. 
How's that? How Now here's Peter. He's saying that he, he burst open, fell headlong, burst open. And the other apostle says he hung himself. How's that possible? Well, it's not possible. It, it's, it's not a contradiction, but basically a description of the same thing. What do you mean? What they believe is, scholars believe is, is this. Judas did hang himself. But here's the problem. He, they're in Israel. And cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. He has nobody there to take care of him. And nobody's going to go touch him. Why? Because, first of all, he's cursed if he's hanging on a tree. Second of all, to touch a dead body makes you ceremonially what? Unclean. So if you're hanging up there, and depending on the strength of the rope, it's possible that the rope break or your body just fell apart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Therefore, his body fell. And, of course, when you think about falling, you and I fall all the time. Our, our internal organs just don't burst out of our belly from a fall. So you got it. There's some state of decomposition going on there. Okay? So that's what's going on there. So they're talking about what happened to him. Now, it's Matthew that tells you about him hanging himself. Now, so there appears to be a discrepancy occurring Judas's death. So we've addressed that issue. Now, to understand the contradiction, you need to understand how Jews viewed a body that was hanged. You need to understand how Jews viewed a body that was hanged. Also, by this time, can I be honest with you? Do you think everybody in town knew this is the guy that betrayed Jesus? Do you think people would know that? Um, folks, I'm telling you, yeah, by this time they would. I mean, if you live in Kerwinsville, you know when stuff happens, right? Word gets out. Oh, this dude, he betrayed Jesus. Because Do you think everybody knew who Jesus was? Do you think they were talking about him being arrested and stuff? How'd that happen? I'm telling you, they knew who Judas was. And somebody probably said, oh, yeah, he's hanging out on that tree just outside of town. So they know who he is. So it's very possible that Judas's decomposing body fell in from the tree and burst open. Notice that Peter is not saying this killed Judas, but rather what happened to his body. So notice Peter is not saying how he died. He's not saying this killed him. If you look at what the text is saying, he's saying what happened to his body. Okay? Now, the field purchased with the money became known as the field of blood. All right? Became known as the field of blood. Now, Peter states that the, that the scripture states that Judas's vacant position must be assumed by another. So he's using scriptural support here to show that there has to be someone to fulfill this position that's now open. So here's the standard that is given. The candidate must have been with Jesus throughout his ministry. So here is, this is the standard for apostleship. Why am I going to stress this? Because today, folks, I'm going to be honest with you, I've actually seen it in different denominations. There are people who think that they're apostles today. Just being flat out honest with you. Or they're being anointed apostles. Or they're claiming an apostleship. 
There's, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you, that is not possible. The apostles died in the first century. Okay? Why? Because here's the standard for apostleship. All right? The candidate must have been with Jesus throughout his ministry. Now, I don't know too many people who are 2,000 years old today, do you? Or even close. All right? I mean, I, I did see a report about a 106-year-old woman who visited the White House. That's pretty old, but that usually doesn't get any farther than that, okay? The candidate must be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They must be a witness to the resurrected Jesus. Now, before I give you this point, you might be saying, well, Paul's apostleship is completely different. He wasn't with Jesus from the beginning. He saw the resurrected Jesus. That's a special apostleship. We'll talk about that later when we get further on in Acts and talk about him. But again, that's not possible today. All right? So now, here's what happens. From the disciples who were gathered there, two names were proposed. So, oh, stop for a moment. 120 people. From the beginning to his resurrection, two names out of 120. Isn't that interesting? That, that's amazing to me, okay? So two names. They pray that the Lord who knows the hearts of men would show them who the man is. So they prayed, asked God to show them who the man is. And here's what they did. They chose Matthias to be the 12th apostle by casting by the casting of lots. Now, let me just stop for a moment. We don't completely understand casting of lots. The closest thing we have in our mind is casting dice. But that's not what it is. They didn't get snake eyes, you're it, okay? That's not what was going on there, all right? It's, the lots are like six or seven different, ob, different shaped objects, and it's not something that we use in our culture. And it's something that they felt led by God to guide them in. Okay? So don't go around looking for lots. Should I or should I not go out to eat today? What does it say? You know what I'm saying? Don't, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? All right. All right. Next week, we're going to look at the fulfillment of the promise.